Welcome to the Stephen Mansfield Podcast. Welcome to the Stephen Mansfield Podcast. So glad you are with me. Let's dive in. I want to talk largely to the Christians in my audience today. Now, what I'm going to say will be relevant to the rest of you. And let me say what I say almost every time anything like this comes up. I love my Buddhist, Muslim, atheist followers and listeners. I love my Jewish listeners. I love the diversity of my audience. And sometimes I've spoken to Jews and sometimes I've spoken to atheists and sometimes I've spoken to everybody. And once in a while, I've spoken just with with everybody else listening to my Muslim audience because I wanted to address some things uh, about Islam and in, 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 on the world stage. And so I'm going to I'm gonna talk to Christians right now. By the way, in my brain right now is something that an atheist Australian friend and listener said when he said, hey, you don't need to apologize for uh, uh, talking to the Christians from time to time. He said, I love it when you smack the Christians. <laughs> and he's joking around because he's an atheist. But obviously I'm a Christian and obviously I want everybody in the world to be a Christian because I think it's the right path. And everybody listening to this podcast knows that. But I love the diversity of my audience. So let me dive in talking largely to Christians. And I'm going to I'm gonna set up some theology for a moment so I can make a point about what's going on uh, in part of our world today. Christians have a field of study and a field of belief, which the big technical big boy term for is eschatology. And this means simply uh, the study of last things or the way that history is going to end or the way the future is going to unfold. Eschatos, eschat, has to do with last or final. And ology obviously means the study of or the words related to. So eschatology in Christian theology is the study of last things or final things. And it has to do with things like when is Jesus coming back and are there ultimate judgments and what's God going to do with the earth and things like that. Okay, I don't plan to get too technical in this, but that's basically the field we're talking about. Well, there are many different views of Christian beliefs about end-time things, many different views. There are premillennialists, okay, and they basically believe Jesus is coming back before a literal thousand years because that's what's mentioned in the book of Revelation chapter 20. So they believe that Jesus is going to come back and he's going to set up a literal thousand-year reign on the earth, and then there'll be judgments and the devil will be smacked and things of that nature. Okay, broadly, that's premillennialism. Well, within premillennialism, there are other views, various views. Um, There's a thing called the tribulation, and it lasts seven years, apparently. And if it's literal, those seven years are literal. And uh, some believe that uh, a rapture occurs before. A rapture is a catching away of the saints, a catching them up in the air to join Jesus in heaven. Some believe they ha- it happens before the tribulation. Some people believe it happens in the middle of the tribulation. Some people believe it happens post-tribulation, after Christians have gone through the seven years of tribulation on earth. Okay, I know some of you right now are thinking, Mansfield has smoked some weed. No, I have not. So you have, uh, you know, pre-trib, uh, post-millennial, pre-millennialist. You have mid-trib, pre-millennialist. You have post-trib, pre-millennialist in that school. 
Then you have all millennialists, and all millennialists basically believe that Jesus is going to reign, but the thousand years is spiritual. It's not a, it's not a literal thousand years. Thus, ah, millennial, no millennium, no literal millennium. That's what that word would mean. So you have different views there. You have optimistic ah, millennial, etc. Okay, I don't need to drill down into all of this to make the point that I want to make in this podcast. And of course, there's also post-millennial people who, uh, I won't get into the details here, but believe that the millennium is a is a, a symbolic thing and that ultimately Jesus is going to reign on earth and he's going to reign through the work he does through his church and through the preaching of the gospel and you know the knowledge of the glory of the Lord is going to cover the earth as the waters cover the sea kind of thing okay so many different views and there are even other variations within all that view okay so here's where I'm going Having worked extensively in the Middle East and uh, traveled even more than I've worked, I'm keenly aware, that there is a perspective amongst a great many people, Arabs in particular, that there is a preoccupation with and an overindulgence of Israel on the part of particularly American Christians and particularly pre-millennialists. Okay? Now, uh, this is important. And the reason that this would be particularly among premillennialists, and again, I'm not picking on them as I as I describe these dynamics. I'm just trying to describe some intellectual history that affects our headlines. The reason that this would be particularly about premillennialists is that premillennialists, more so than perhaps the other schools of eschatology of end time things, um, believe that the reformation of Israel. Israel being rebirthed as a nation in 1948 is a highly significant prophesied event that its fulfillment in our time signals a starting of a prophetic clock or or it's part of uh, prophetic events that are meant to be unfolded. For those of you who are maybe not Christians or not Bible students, basically, some Christians believe when Israel became a nation in 1948, that this had been prophesied in scripture, that this was anticipated, um, that certain major events in the course of human history couldn't happen until this happened. And the fact that it happened um, in the lifetime, well, frankly, of some people who are still alive, obviously, you could have been a you know a child in 1948 and still be kicking. And so the fact that this happened in basically this generation or near this generation is highly significant of events that are about to happen. And And now you're going to have other events kick in, the clock begins, prophecy begins to unfold, etc. Well, so uh, among the meanings of Israel becoming a nation again in 1948 um, is that there are going to be moments of great opposition to Israel that nations will arise, they will attack Israel. This is basically what Armageddon is about, that biblical word Armageddon that we now use more broadly, that essentially the idea is that now that Israel's a nation, it's possible for some of the events that seem to be described in Scripture that you know, Israel is going to be attacked. It's going to be surrounded. Uh, there are going to be great and dramatic battles in the regions outside, just outside of Jerusalem, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, I don't want to get too tactical, but The two important things that I'm saying at this moment are, number one, Israel becoming a nation in 1948 makes some prophesied events possible now. And amongst those prophesied events is that there is great opposition globally to Israel. Okay? Now, the reason I have set all of that up, and again, my non-Christian friends, forgive me, but, but lean in here, is that 
We are living at a moment, obviously, when Israel has endured great onslaught. October 7th, the Hamas attack, vicious, brutal. I've described it before, terrible in every way, equal in every way, although not with the numbers, to the Nazi uh, desecration of and, de- and devastation of the Jews. Although, of course, you're talking 1,500 Jews on October the 7th and 6 million Jews during World War II. So different, different in scale, but not difference, different in viciousness. And so... Those who are pro-Israel, which of course would include a lot of the Christians I've just described, particularly pre-millennialists, if you'll hang on to what that meant uh, in my description, then what happens is that they then begin to get into a mentality of we are pro-Israel. Israel basically can do no wrong. We are supporting Israel. This opposition, this anti-Semitism worldwide, this vicious Hamas attack, which many in the West seem to be sanctioning and condoning even, this is part of, maybe even a foretaste of the great onslaught against Israel that's going to come. Okay, let's just leave that hanging in the air. I don't want to comment on that, but what's happening, and this is where I really want to bring my commentary down to, what's happening as a result of that is that many Christians, particularly American Christians, of course, Western Christians for the most part, are taking an attitude that all who are even in the territories of those who oppose Israel in Gaza, in the West Bank, in the Golan Heights, in nations that might be dominant Muslim, etc., that all are uh, perhaps enemies of Israel. And at the very least are condoning what's happening, what what the enemies of Israel are doing. So to be more specific, uh, there are 3,000 Christians in Gaza and millions more throughout the Middle East in nations that are majority Muslim. And when I sit with them, they will tell me that American Christians, evangelicals in particular, not only overlook them, they'll fly all the way to Jerusalem and not come encourage the Christians in Amman, Jordan, which is, you know, a a short, you know, auto ride across the border. Or they'll fly all that way and won't hop a plane just to come over to Amman or won't fly, you know, go, go to Beirut or anywhere else to encourage the Christians in these countries. So what I'm told, I've been told repeatedly is that the attitudes, the theologies of Western, particularly largely American, but yes, definitely Western Christians, it contains an element of racism, which is that if you are an Arab Christian, you're not as important as Israel. You're not important as important as the Jews that American evangelicals tend to exalt so much. And in fact, uh, even the Christians in a place like Gaza which is largely Muslim, but there are, as I've said, thousands of Christians. Even the Christians get overlooked by their fellow Christians from the West because their theology says that those who opposed Israel are accursed and they are part of an end-time satanic kind of thing happening in history, etc. Now, I may even believe some of this. I'm just not getting into it right now. The issue, though, is that for many Christians in the West, their, their view of the end times, their eschatology, their theology, broadly speaking— contains an element of racism and certainly disregard for people, the people, and sometimes people of their own faith. So let me make it clear. I am pro-Israel, uh, and and I have spent time with uh, both Muslims and Christians in Gaza, and I despise Hamas. Let me just make it clear. I think Hamas and Hezbollah are the terrorist arms of uh, Iran, and I think they should be wiped from the face of the earth. Uh, 
and Iran should be dealt with. I don't know very many people anywhere in any capital of the world and even throughout the Middle East who don't believe that. However, many Christians in the West, in their spite for Hamas and spite for Hezbollah uh, and even Iran, and maybe even disregard or dislike of Islam, will treat the people of a given nation as though they are the great unwashed, as though they are people who are under judgment, as though they are people who are not due respect and love. So the way you want to view Gaza is that it's a people ruled by a terrorist organization, and that terrorist organization needs to be removed 100% in my view. However, there are people there, Arab peoples, who are innocent, who are just living in that part of, of the world, who, who are trying to go about their lives. And they don't support Hamas. And you can go on YouTube right now and watch videos of people in Gaza who are risking their lives by saying this Hamas terrorist organization that dominates us, that dominates our government and has for the last 15 or so years, is evil. We want them removed. And these people are weeping. Now, that rarely gets shown on Western television news, but it's nevertheless true. So what I'm trying to describe to you is an attitude coming out of some Christian theologies that almost inadvertently, I think for the most part, results in a kind of racism. Like if you are Arab in the Middle East, you therefore are opposed to Israel. Therefore, you are somehow to be diminished, somehow to be disregarded, somehow under the judgment of God, somehow part of a force of evil. So that even, even Arab Christians in the Middle East, even Arab Christians in Gaza, for example, which you assume Western Christians would have some regard for, are disregarded, are not helped. And when Western evangelicals encourage Israel to take out Hamas, they really don't mind too much, it seems, and it certainly feels uh, this way to the average street Arab, that they don't mind too much if Arabs are killed and even the Arab Christians are killed. You see the problem here. So what I want to urge us to consider, I want to urge my Christian friends to consider is that you can be pro-Israel, and you can certainly believe, if you want to, and if this is your honest interpretation of Scripture, that armies are going to gather around Israel, and there will be great battles, and blood will run deep, and there will be an ultimate Armageddon. I get all that. I understand how it's taught. I've taught systematic theology, colon eschatology at the university level. I, I get it. I understand it. Uh, and, I, and I know where you're coming from and where you're getting this from Scripture. But I want to strongly urge you to reconsider the parts of your theology that cause you to disregard the people. For example, let, let, let me say to you that uh, when you're reading Acts chapter 2, Christians, you have to realize that God sovereignly made sure that Arabs and Jews were there on the day of Pentecost. They were both supposed to be part of the church. There was a purpose of God for both of them. Uh, to quote Psalm 33, the purposes of God, God's heart continued from generation to generation for both of them. And just because Islam has moved in and dominated much of the Arab world does not mean that the people aren't oppressed, that God doesn't have a purpose for the people, that he's not reaching to the people. So you've got two things going here. You've got the people whom God loves and whom he has a, a purpose for and whom he positioned to be part of the church, etc., um, and many of many of whom uh, are Christians. And then you've got a terrorist organization 
on top of them. And if you consider Islam to be a false religion, then you've got to, you've, then let me just go ahead and say it for you. You've got this false religion dominating these people. But we're called as Christians to love the people, to honor the people, to, to welcome the people. And it's sad to me to see Gazan evangelical pastors just about to give up on Western Christianity being something that's anything other than racist and willing for any Arab who need to, who, die, who dies to be an acceptable death in the eyes of the, of the Western church. So the point here is I'm not trying to get you to change your eschatology. I'm trying to get you to confront some beliefs you have about the people. You know, I work closely with the Kurds, as you know, if you listen to this podcast, and the Kurds worldwide, and the Kurds particularly in Iraq and Iran, and love them. And uh, you've heard me say many times before, the Kurds are the largest people group in the world without their own homeland, 35 million or north of 35 million now worldwide without their own homeland. I love them. I care about them. Let me tell you that many of my Kurdish friends turn towards Jerusalem, not Mecca, towards Jerusalem to pray. Almost all Kurds are extremely Christian-friendly. There's actually a Christian office in the KRG government building in Erbil, Iraq, which is the Kurdish headquarters, the KRG's headquarters, Kurdish regional government. I'm welcomed. I'm an outspoken Christian and an outspoken advocate for the Kurds. They know exactly who I am. Uh, they welcome me. They've sent, in, in difficult, contentious, violent times, they've sent uh, members of the military to, to to guard me and to escort my car around. I mean, I'm not any big deal. That's not my point. But I've been protected by them. They 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 welcome me. They invite me to their offices and many other Christians, of course, as well. I'm just describing my experience. And they're very welcoming to Christians. And yet the Kurds are 97% Muslim people, right? Very small percentage of the world is Christian Kurd. But they're very, very open. So you're not talking about terrorists here. You're not talking about anti-Christians. You're not talking. And by the way, they bless Israel. There are many, many Kurds, by the way, who are Jews. See, Kurds and ethnicity, Jews is a faith. And because of the uh, history of the, of the Israel being uh, in the, I won't go through the whole Old Testament, um, but but because of the the Jewish role, the exiles and so on, time and again, you people emerge. Uh, the Kurds uh, were very much infected with uh, Islam. Uh, I'm sorry, Judaism, and many many Kurds in the world are Jews. In fact, there's a Kurdish Jewish uh, neighborhood in Jerusalem. So my point's not to teach all of this in one podcast and choke you. My point is to say I'm urging my Christian brothers and sisters to consider implications of their beliefs, results of their beliefs that cause them to disregard the people that God loves, that Jesus died for, that God is reaching to by his Holy Spirit, and to not believe that all Gazans should die not believe that any Arab death is an acceptable cost, collateral damage of the priority of Israel. And again, I speak as a man who is, who is pro-Israel. We are disillusioning our brothers and sisters worldwide. We are perhaps at times sanctioning unnecessary violence. And we are certainly sending a signal to the world 
that we have a certain amount of bigotry in our theology. And given the fact that most people who would have been part of the KKK in the United States at least called themselves Christian, by the way, one of the worst facts I've ever read of in my history study of the history of the KKK is that often the Men's Baptist Softball League was often a coded call for the Klan to meet. That's how close the Klan was to the established church. I'm not blaming the Baptists. I'm not blaming the Baptists. But I am saying we certainly take hits for sanctioning racism with our errant theologies and our bigotry that, is, that, we, that we then try to sanction with Scripture. But God loves these people. God cares about these people. Jesus died for these people. And there's nothing inherent in being pro-Israel or even believing that 1948 was a big prophetic event, which I think a lot of Christians and conservatives believe, that then says, well, Arabs should die or Arab Christians aren't as important as Western Christians or maybe Messianic Jewish Christians or what have you. So be careful. Be careful what you're preaching. Be careful what you believe. Be careful what you're saying. Because you can be pro-Israel and still believe that Israel overdoes it with violence. You can be pro-Israel and still believe that Arabs should be protected. You can be pro-Israel and still understand that there's a vibrant Christian movement in the Arab world that needs to be encouraged by Western Christians. Okay, I'm not angry. I'm concerned. And I'm on the ground there, and I'm talking to leaders, and I'm aware that once again, American and Western Christians not being careful about their theology— not being careful about what they say on the air is giving the impression that we are anti-Arab. And that, of course, feeds right into the agenda of evil organizations like Hamas and Hezbollah. Let's be better. Stephen Mansfield is a New York Times bestselling author, a popular global speaker, Senior Fellow for Public Leadership at Palm Beach Atlantic University. His groundbreaking books on faith and society include The Faith of George W. Bush, The Search for God in Guinness, Mansfield's Book of Manly Men, and Lincoln's Battle with God. Learn more at stephenmansfield.tv. 